The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Today, we're discussing The Rings of Power, Episode 3, titled Adar. I'm Thomas Senhero, and joining me today are Caitlin Fashista. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. And we have Thomas Salerno. Hi, Thomas. Hey there. And also Jeff Hecker. Hi, Jeff. Good day, Thomas. Good to see you. So I'm going to be taking over for Dom uh, in the uh, the host seat for now, and uh, we'll just keep moving with the show. I'm glad to have it turned over. I'm super excited about uh going through the rings of power and then we'll see where we can take it from there. Uh, be sure to follow uh, the secrets of middle earth in Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory app and find us on social media at facebook.com slash media or on Twitter where we're at SQPN or on Instagram where we're at StarQuest network. So if you do follow us on any of those spots, we will occasionally get uh, listener feedback that we like to share on the show. And we did get a lot this uh, this week. We had a couple of really good pieces of feedback that I think uh, were worth sharing. So from Paul Leone on uh, YouTube, we got a response about our going on an adventure episode. So that was kind of our pilot episode with this group. Uh, and he says, so great to see the series revived, uh, which if you don't know, the series was done a long time ago about the movies and some of the books and things like that. And we're just kind of reviving it now because, Hey, Lord of the Rings is kind of an evergreen topic. <laughs> uh, he says, I can't wait for the rings of power and to hear your thoughts on it. I'm still on the fence, not happy with the time compression and a few other things such as having during the third and fourth alive at the same time. But the initial reactions have made me more optimistic. So we'll see. So I wanted to ask you guys, how, how do you feel about the time compression? Because we're getting a little more of a sense of what it's going to be like now, especially with this last episode. I think that in terms of the some of the things we've seen in this last episode that we'll get into, like Numenor, I think they're handling some of the time compression actually very well. And I've kind, I'm kind of getting a sense of where they're going with that. And so I'm, I'm more comfortable with it than I was, I'll say. Yeah, I would agree. I think in terms of the Numenorean timeline, though, it, it it feels like everything else has been adjusted in order to kind of fit in with the story of Numenor. And then the way that they're kind of seemingly compressing a lot of Numenorean history into what will be these five seasons. Um, I, it does seem to make sense, even though it's still a little bit difficult to accept. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm becoming more comfortable with it, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be a very quick fall for Arpharazon, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how about you, Jeff? Are you feeling better about it or? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't know I wasn't on last week, but I've I, I've liked the show so far. Um, not completely perfect, but um, as far as the time compression, I, I honestly am looking at this as its own thing based on the canon i'm not i'm trying to pull story elements and you know speculation from what we know but i'm trying also not to ascribe this series that it's going to follow everything exactly um i'm just trying to as tolkien himself would have said he's not trying to go for 
they're not trying to go for a perfect copy or allegory of anything. It's they're trying to just uh-huh. tell their own story based on based on the writings, but it's not. They're not making. They're not adapting the the Silmarillion here. They're they're telling a new story based on a small piece of the Legendarium. So I'm I'm perfectly happy with the time compression uh, so far. So well played, bringing the professor himself into that one. Yeah, <laughs> can't argue with that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's really the healthiest mindset to come into this with because uh, you aren't going to be uh, losing your mind with anger at every little <laughs> change that's made. If you can separate the two, this is not Tolkien specifically. This is something based on Tolkien. Right. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll get into it with this one, but I, I love some of the themes that came up in this latest episode and I really liked the way they were handled and I'm, I'm interested to see how they progress through. So one of the, one other uh, piece of feedback we had on Facebook, uh, Kelly Brown shared that uh, she came into the show with very low expectations. She says she was very skeptical. And after watching both parts one and two twice, uh, she must say that she's not one over yet, but she's intrigued enough to keep watching. <laughs> so based on the chatter online, she says she was ex- expecting much worse. And she thinks that Amazon's marketing of the series was was a giant failure, which uh, I'll debate that in a second, but but I, I see where she's coming from. Uh, and based on interviews and early super fan reaction videos, they pushed the culture war stuff to get people to talk about the series. And it seems to have kind of blown up in their face. As for the show, she says so far, there's things that she really likes. The scenes with the dwarves were her favorite. And she's not sold on the actress who plays Galadriel. And she knows it's nitpicky, but she absolutely hates short hair on the male elves, which has been a big bone of contention from a lot of people. Yeah, it takes some getting used to, I think, you know, especially (laughs) after, you know, the Jackson films kind of established all elves have long hair, have long hair. Well, that's all the art we Mm -hmm. see typically is is elves with long hair. So it's interesting now to see it uh, in a different light. She also comments that concerning Meteor Man, she really hopes it's not Gandalf, but the show is really wanting us to think it's Gandalf. She likes the idea that it's one of the Blue Wizards uh, and it wouldn't break canon if it is because the Blue Blue Wizards did come in the Second Age. And So if Meteor Man turns out to be Sauron or some other evil figure, Nori's insistence that she feels like she's meant to help him and some of the other things she says in this episode also uh, would be an incredibly dark turn. Uh, One thing that makes her think Meteor Man isn't good other than the dead fireflies is when Nori falls into the burning crater and touches the fire. She says that it isn't hot, which this is a detail i didn't even realize but in the first episode galadriel says that in the company that when the company are in the evil fortress she touches the fire and says it's not hot because of the presence of a great evil so that's that's an intriguing take on that kind of section she says that so far she's intrigued to keep watching and it's inspired her to do another read-through of the lord of the rings since it's been a few years since the last time that she'd read them and i will definitely agree with that i picked up a copy of the silmarillion <laughs> Almost immediately after finishing the first two episodes and started yeah. reading back through it again. <laughs> yep. It's always time. So, yeah. And, and I think to, kind of to her point about the the talked about and the um, the marketing, I think they did a a good job in the bad marketing sense. Right. Where it's like get people to talk about it, make people upset about it and they'll watch it. <laughs> and and um, <laughs> And maybe they'll come in with with this kind of like I had very low expectations, but I've <laughs> I'm I've been pleasantly surprised so far. Kind of uh, kind of mentality for it. Yeah, I do feel like their marketing was a little bit misleading because it did kind of 
create the impression that this was going to be an adaptation, but the Mm. farther we get into it, it really isn't. Um, In my opinion, like an adaptation is, is kind of at least trying to present a one-to-one kind of transition of something from book into another medium, but they're taking so many liberties and changing so many things. I feel like it's a lot closer to fan fiction, which I don't mean in a derogatory sense. It's just, that seems a lot more what it is. Mm. Um, And I think if they maybe would have positioned things differently when they were advertising it, I think it would have probably gone over a little bit easier with people. Yeah. Something more like based on the world of J.R.R. Tolkien rather Mm -hmm. than like Mm -hmm. based on the Lord of the Rings. Right. You know, because then you immediately get people's hackles up, you know, like who are (laughs) because uh, from the very beginning, I heard people like, well, it's Amazon, so it's going to be bad. So like you immediately get people just like, right. (laughs) uh, You can't start there. (laughs) You've got to give give it a little bit of grace Mm -hmm. first. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I let's let's go ahead. We'll we'll dive into this one. I've been dying to talk about this episode. I had to watch it without my children first. And then I got a chance to watch it with them because they were on this weekend. And then they came back uh, today. So we got to watch it together. And um, before we even start talking about the episode, I wanted to bring up something that my wife pointed out that this show is built a lot like older horror movies um, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, especially that that scene in the beginning where um, Aaron Deere is taken by the the orc into the shadows and the hands come out and he's kind of pulled back into the shadow. And. um, you know, I hadn't thought about it that much, but this episode really kind of brings some of those uh, those points that she was trying to make home because it is a little more uh, in your face with the violence uh, this this episode. And I'm debating whether it's a show for all of my kids at this point, but since they've started watching it, I don't want to tell them they can't. You know, So we've got all the way down to like uh, our two year old is sitting with us watching it, too, and she's. The, the the biggest the biggest tell for me was when they were all like the oh that works so cute i'm like oh boy <laughs> this isn't gonna go oh, no. well <laughs> that was kind of a hard a hard decision i had to make because i um i woke up at 5 a.m i mean the episode dropped at midnight in my time zone and i i tried i i set an alarm i tried to stay up till midnight but i just couldn't do it so i set an alarm and i woke up at 5 a.m so i could watch it before i took them to school And then after I watched it, I was like, oh, no, because I was in the same situation. They had seen the first two episodes and they really wanted to see it. So basically, I was I kind of talked to them. I was like, you know, this episode's a little bit scarier than the first one. And I really prepped them for it. So then after the episode was over, they were like, actually, mom, that wasn't (laughs) scary at all. And (laughs) yeah, that's not bad at all. Um, But yeah, I was surprised. It was a lot. Um, I think that the rating on it I saw in the UK, I don't know if it's different in England, in the, in the U S. Um, but it was like 11 plus for the first two episodes. And then it went up to 15 plus Mm. for the third episode. So I'm interested to see if they're going to go back down. I'm hoping they're not going to go farther. Yeah. I hope it doesn't become game of Thrones in that sense. Right. Where it just like keeps kind of upping the ante (laughs) as it goes along. Yeah. We don't want that. So I do Jeff, Jeff and Thomas, do you guys have kids that watch it with you or is it just you guys watching it? Me, it's just me and my brother. OK, uh, I was my kids are are but they're under five. So <laughs> and my wife, oh, my nice. wife is not interested. I've tried. I've tried, but oh. not interested. Oh, man. 
<laughs> yeah, no, my, my brother and I watch it together and we're both huge fans of the Lord of the Rings and, and he's just read the Silmarillion recently. So oh, that, nice. that's like a very, you know, so we're, we're, we're going through this whole thing. We're discussing it. And yeah, it's, it, it, it's just been a lot of fun to just to not watch it alone, to just have someone to geek out with it. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah they, it just made the viewing experience just so much more fun having other people, you know. Well, and that's that's one for me. Like, I'm I'm slowly reading through The Lord of the Rings with my kids. And um, <laughs> we got to talking about some of this episode and I'm like geeking out about like, that's Arendil, that's Isildur. What is the name of that sword that he was just given? You know, and <laughs> right, my kids yeah. are like, dad who cares and i'm like dude you you've seen the first movie at least you know who these people are and they're like he's on the screen for like five seconds dad seriously (laughs) (laughs) so well i was just at a parish event and somehow the rings of power came up and i i uh realized that i was like talking very loudly and very fast and i was like no you guys like you know and i had to step back and be like okay these people don't care about this show as much as i do uh, and kind of go back into normal mode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. That's kind of my mo with my uh, with my fandom. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why this podcast is so yes. fun. It's it's great right. that we can come together and talk about our similar interests and stuff. Very much so. All right, so let's let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into this one because I think um, this is a really cool episode. As we, we were talking beforehand about the name of the episode, because I think that's a really neat place to start so this episode is named adar and you you get a a very clear sense from the very beginning of the show and the very end of the show who that is but we don't know you know what that means yet like what what the important of importance of it is yet so i was talking with thomas beforehand and he was saying well you don't see him until right at the end but if you listen really closely the first thing that happens is um aaron is brought into this orc camp and he's laid down and the orcs want to eat him and one of the orcs stands over him and says, no, 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 he's for Adar. And that's when they chain him up and tell him that he needs to to dig. So we hear the name right at the beginning there. And then it kind of gets framed throughout the rest of the of this orc camp uh, bit. And I really liked that they kept the orcs out of the sun. <laughs> I was yes, very happy. Yeah. That, that was an important part mm-hmm. of this episode. <laughs> I'm interested to know what creature those scaly um, hoods that they have mm-hmm. are made from is that dragon skin or some other kind of reptilian creature i hope we get some follow-up on that because i was looking for little details on that like look at his scales you know mm-hmm. that yeah, was how does it protect yeah him? and the scales are so big yeah. Yeah. so like what could it be from other than a dragon oh we saw f- <laughs> or something similar yeah we saw f- the fell beasts in uh lord of the rings obviously not that you know it's not going to be the exact same and I know mm-hmm. the flying beasts we see on screen are not specifically canon or not specifically uh, actually called Philby's. I think that was more of a marketing thing, but could be something along those lines as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, you know, we're coming off of I think the, the time compression does this. So we're coming off of the battle in the first stage where uh, there was the, the there were dragons that came out of Angband right. during that battle. And so. Maybe those dragons end up being skinned and used as part of the, you know, especially these these particular orcs who seem to be running this um, pathway underneath all, all of the Southlands to try and uh, build whatever it is they're building. We don't know yet. So we'll have to get a little more into that, too. Oh, what do you, so 
there's there's a theory that's floated by the elves themselves later in this episode that they're looking for something. Uh, what do you guys think that is theories about that? Yeah, I don't know that that line confused me and I'm I'm not sure what they could be looking for. I know they're in the area that basically becomes Mordor. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if, if are they looking for an item or are they looking for a place that somehow they can only a chamber or something, maybe that they can only get to by digging there. Perhaps that's the best I could come up with. Well, I think they mentioned, didn't they mention something about how they're digging these tunnels to go raid villages to look for something? Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's the case, it makes me wonder if it's supposed to be the sword that Theo found. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I know it wasn't, here last week that one theory or thing I was definitely thinking about was that they're looking for the sword because it, and I don't, I don't, we don't know what the sword is, but I almost wonder if it's some kind of almost Horcrux type of thing where the, the being that is Sauron right now, whatever, whoever that is may need the sword to kind of become complete because if Sauron was, was injured or kind of cast away after the, because he kind of, uh, I'm forgetting exactly what he does after the final battle. I think he kind of just slinks away for a while until we see him later. But I was kind of wondering if maybe that sword will restore Sauron to his kind of his, you know, Maiar type of status. Because um, we obviously know we, if you read the read the Silmarillion, you know what he who he becomes later. But so I was wondering if that sword was maybe part of that. And that's what the orcs are looking for to kind of maybe Adar is kind of an, an alter ego for Sauron and the sword will kind of restore him to his full might. Uh, since this is before the ring. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Well, and maybe that's, maybe that's just his MO, right? Is he kind of imbues himself into whatever he crafts and that, uh, cause then they, they mentioned that. I think that's something that came up during one of the last couple of episodes where, um, creation requires sacrifice i think that was um right celebrum's mm-hmm. uh line so maybe that's something that's definitely a theme in in tolkien too mm-hmm. um where you know all the the Maiar and valar and elves and when you create something you're putting you're giving some of your power to it um right. so sauron put his power into the ring and, and his own power is lessened because of that so there's definitely an aspect to that in that could be coming into play here. It would make sense that he would maybe practice putting some of his strength into an object. If he had, if he was ultimately planning to put, you know, a greater amount into a ring, maybe he would want to do some kind of a test run Mm. and use a sword or something like that. So I I could see that. I would hope that they just don't make it too Harry Potter ish. (laughs) Right. Got the number of horcruxes that they have to destroy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As long as they don't go too goofy. I could see that. That would be kind of cool. We definitely saw that Sauron was experimenting at that old fortress Mm -hmm. in the north. So maybe that. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're right, Caitlin. And that's kind of what he's doing. He's been perhaps experimenting, putting some of his essence into other objects. And, you know, like where he's building up to where he. He has the uh, the knowledge to put most of it into a single small object that he can carry on his person. Yeah, that's so I, I think I think those are great. That does, I, I went immediately to the sword when they started talking about that. But then 
you know, I, I wondered if there's more to it than that as well, because there's, I, I wonder if they're looking for Sauron himself and maybe this Adar is not, because it seems like they're throwing a lot of red herrings at us. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I've seen a lot of theories that Halbrand is uh, Sauron. I've seen, you know, obviously there's a lot of theories mm-hmm. that Muir Man is Halbrand or is, is Sauron. So I like that they're throwing a lot of red herrings, but at the same time, it's like you don't want to get too many because then it's like, oh, well, when the, the real Sauron finally shows up, it's like, oh, OK, well, finally, <laughs> it's about time you got here. <laughs> I'm wondering if Adar is one of those people who in the Silmarillion were called thralls, who were elves who were captured by Morgoth mm. and tormented. They weren't turned fully into orcs, but they were kind of tormented and then released to be spies among the other elves. Mm. Like I know a famous one was was uh, Maeglin from Gondolin. Right. And so I'm, I'm wondering mm. if Adar is kind of a similar thing because he looked kind, his features looked kind of elvish. So I'm wondering if like maybe he's just this this elf who was corrupted by Morgoth and is now working as a as a lieutenant tr- trying to bring Sauron back or something. Something like that would make a lot of sense, given that his name is an elvish name. Right. As I mentioned in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, for anyone keeping track at home. Adar means father in Sindarin and the the alternative in Quenya is Atar, A-T-A-R. So you look up on elf dick you can find that <laughs> you can find that information out so if you're if you're interested in any of the names and what they mean it's definitely something to keep track of because it was very important to tolkien and i think uh this this show seems to be keeping up with that too they seem to be like kind of trying to play that in wherever they can and we'll get to that with uh, some of the things coming up and along the lines of just the name adar this i noticed this episode had a lot of um ties to fatherhood where we mm-hmm. see, which we can get into, but we see Elendil, we see, um, we didn't see him, but at the very end, we, uh, Tar Muriel's speaking to her father, who, um, which I don't know how far we want to go down the, the Akalabeth path, but he's uh, kind of, in a, was kind of an important figure, and there's a reason he was deposed in favor mm-hmm. of people who were against the elves. So, but I just kind of noticed that as a, as a theme in this episode of uh, Adar, a, a fatherhood um and parentage and, and lineage in general too that's um you know because we even get halbrand's i i like the way that halbrand's puts it he says that he took the symbol off of a dead man because it seemed to, to fit him and that's a very harsh way to talk about taking something that's yours by birthright because you kind of have to so yeah yeah, well, right. So speaking of Halbrand, that's kind of the next scene we get is uh, Galadriel awakes on a Numenorean ship with Halbrand and um, he offers her some food and she questions whether it's poison or not. And then he's I love the hell of how he puts that. He says, it's, it's not poison, at least not for a human. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Great. Thanks, guy. Yeah, he's he's very teasing. He's uh, he's like constantly messing with her. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't let her he doesn't let her take herself too seriously, which I think is probably good mm-hmm. for this version of Galadriel. Yeah, he's a, he's a good foil for her, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and I know you last week you were talking about how there was, you know, we weren't sure if they were kind of developing a kind of romance between them. But it almost seems like it was more of like a teasing brother, sister kind of thing or, you know, cousin, familiar, something like that, rather than romantic so hopefully that kind of continues i sure hope so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's what it yeah. seems like to me like when I, I i heard about some of the kind of you know 
the way some of the promos were cut together made this look questionable. But yeah, when I saw the scenes in context, I was like, oh, I could definitely see how they could cut this to kind of get people excited or upset and right. watch the watch the episode. Yeah, I mean, but for everyone I've spoken to, if they were to get together, like that's a deal breaker. Like yeah. that's that's just a horrible, horrible idea. So if anyone at Amazon is listening, like you guys need to stay away from this. Edit it quickly if you haven't if you haven't gotten yeah. there yet. Yeah, just pull the episodes, you know, scratch that completely. We'll wait for the rest of them to get done correctly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't think so. I think they're really I think they are suffering from a problem that Morford Clark seems to be just she has chemistry with everything. Like there's there's that whole scene with her and the horse later on in this episode. And it's just like <laughs> I have never seen anybody enjoy riding a horse more. What was that scene? <laughs> so. Yeah, that scene was a little bit. That was a little much. Was, yeah, it was kind of silly. I I laughed a lot so, at that scene. I was yeah yeah. They, I, I, they, they could have done it with a little less slow mo. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. the horse's hair just flowing in the wind, and her with that smile. It just yeah. So I think she just has chemistry with everything, and that's part of the problem that they're dealing with. Is that like. You know, there's even that scene with um, with uh, Ella Dill when she starts down that path of like, wait, you have the you have a, a, a house of law where where let's go. And he's, and he's like, oh, OK. And it seems like she's like hitting it off really well with him. And it's like, OK, hold on. Pump the brakes. <laughs> she's uh, she she has someone she's supposed to get married to somewhere down the line here. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. She's spoken for right. <laughs> So I, I think. um. I really like this whole scene leading up to uh, the entrance to Numenor. And, you know, if you, if you know the Lord of the Rings, you're expecting it to be a spectacle. And I, they did not disappoint, in my opinion. This was an oh, wow. amazing yeah. setting. Yeah, I was I was blown away, especially when they pull back and it's the really wide, wide shot mm -hmm. of the entire city of Armenolos. I, I, I literally almost stood up out of my chair. Mm -hmm. I was so taken aback by that. You know, I, I was like, wow. I'm like, did this makes Minas Tirith look like a country village, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I like I that's what they're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there were definitely it. some visual callbacks to Minas Tirith as yes. well. Yeah, I love that. Was like nice the, the terrace that they had that looked very much yeah. like that top terrace for Minas Tirith and some of the minarets and things were very cool. But very Greco-Roman as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was unfortunately traveling this weekend, and so my only option was to watch this on on my phone. And I was oh, no. uh, I, I rewatched it later. I rewatched it later, but I saw that and I was like, ah, this this deserves this, the big screen. But it was yes. my only choice, other than wait a couple of days, mm -hmm. and I wasn't doing that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. Well, the, when I went to oh, sorry, I was going to say the big, you know, like you were saying, the the architecture was definitely looked like Gondor, except more grand and mm -hmm. you know more colorful um the, especially the big like you said the terrace and ledge thing um was just oh it looked great <laughs> and i was excited to see numenor in the show and i'm i haven't been disappointed so yeah it was it was stunning for sure did you have something else you were gonna say caitlin oh i was gonna say um when when we when i went to comic-con um, and we got to see some of the scenes at the Hall H uh, panel um, that that shot of of them entering into, into Numenor was one of them. And mm. the screen was 
I mean, it was like the biggest screen you could even imagine. And it was just so big and overwhelming. It was amazing to see it so big. I I feel like I wish they would have done this episode in the theaters. Right. (laughs) Well, that's that's one of the things that I'm really kind of they're going really epic with it. And it's on a small screen. But I don't feel like it's really suffering from being on the small screen either, because then they'll they'll cut to the, the scenes that they cut to inside the city were done really well with a lot of care. And so the the way that they had stuccoed the buildings and it looked very Greco-Roman, uh, but but still had its own flavor. Uh, I really liked that. And it's like they took a page out of some of those old like uh, the Hercules and Hera uh, show from the 90s and said, let's do this, but let's do it well. <laughs> right yeah and so you know it felt real it felt lived in it felt like it was a city that had been built and so you know know, it wasn't perfect but it was nice Mm. and it looked like these people had been living here for ages and had made the area look really good and feel even the alleyways were were pleasant it also looked very cared for too like Mm -hmm. you could see um patches done up on on those stone where where it, it maybe had had gotten a little bit messed up like you could see that it's being maintained too which it was um very interesting that they they had thought all the way through to add that oh yes yeah. so somebody on twitter pointed out that you can see in, in the background of some of these shots they're actually bricking over older elven style architecture oh. with a newer numenorian style wow. and that kind of plays into some of the things that they mention in dialogue later that the the darkening of numenor has kind of already been occurring right yeah that's that's interesting and then i think um you know, we get that we get that walkthrough with the kind of exposition dump from um, from Galadriel to uh, <laughs> to Halbrand. But it but it works. It doesn't feel it doesn't yeah. feel too terrible because Halbrand obviously would not know any of this stuff. And mm-hmm. and she's telling him in a, in a way that's that's caring about it. And as he ribs her, you know, like, oh, do I sense some jealousy? And she's like, no, I, you sense sorrow. And then she explains to him why she's why she feels that way about it. And that, so it, it's. It's done in a way that's good. I think it ties everything together nicely, but it feels like they they are trying to cover a lot of territory in these episodes. And sometimes we're going to be having that where we just have to get here's we're going to catch you up on the uh, last thousand years worth of stuff that's been <laughs> happening. Mm-hmm. Here you go. <laughs> and then uh, how many of you guys were surprised to hear that there's a queen in Numenor at this point? I was not. I, no. I figured it would be Muriel. Muriel, yeah. yeah. And if you had paid attention to any of the casting. You kind of knew uh, uh, true. who was already the queen of, uh, and you knew Farazan was going to be there. So, Muriel isn't the the queen yet, though. She's the queen regent. Queen so regent. that kind of puts us in an interesting right. uh, situation because she's not fully there yet. Because her father was still alive, or yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and she technically never actually gets there. Like she never actually becomes the queen, which is that's what that's what surprised me because I'm. It has been years since i read the silmarillion so i was like there wasn't a queen between uh between the good king and the bad king right and then i was like oh that's right because there is this whole daughter thing that happens so i'm intrigued to see how that's all going to play out and it's it's kind of fun knowing what's going to happen and seeing the way that they portray it on screen uh one thing i was struck by too is when when they come into the scene when they're in the um in the, the the big hall and Galadriel and uh, 
and Muriel are having the discussion. I like the way that they handle Halbrand stepping in because he he's obsequious and that's kind of his shtick, you know, that he's got that kind of slick uh, roguishness to him uh, that you don't want to like him. But at the same time, he realizes a truth about what's going on that uh, Galadriel doesn't, which is that the queen doesn't want to be pushed into making a decision about her. And that's how he diffuses the situations that he says, what if we just stayed for a little while, just just a couple of days while you figured out what was happening? And that's the thing that allows the whole situation to kind of get to ease out. So she, he, he removes the force that she has to that she has to put forth there. And so I think we're going to see some of that kind of play out over the, you know, as you guys were talking about her visiting her father and and where exactly she stands on this whole thing. I love that Galadriel says, I am Galadriel the Noldor, daughter of the Golden House of Finarfin. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I, I just geeked out over that. I was like, yes. <laughs> Finally, they're acknowledging some of this stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's always been such a joy when they do actually drop some names because there have been so many instances where they don't and you're just like dying and it's, it's nice when they do. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's I, I like. And then there's some other places where they aren't. And I'm just like, oh, is that the thing? Is that the thing? <laughs> so mm -hmm. we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we get the, the small backstory about Elendil, where um, uh, Muriel asks, you know, uh, Farzan who he is. And he kind of gives us this backstory about who he is. And so it tells us a little bit about his character and then immediately cuts to his son, who's this up and coming mariner. And this is a name, I think. Anybody who's seen The Lord of the Rings may not remember if you just kind of glossed over the first part, but Isildur is the is the child and we get to see him on the ship. And then there's something calling his name from beyond the sea. And I thought that was really yeah. interesting. He was looking at the holy mountain when that happened. Ah, okay. He was looking at the holy mountain of Menel Tarma. So I thought, like, hmm, is it the Valar? Interesting. I thought it was interesting that it was a feminine voice calling to him, because mm -hmm. if it would have been a masculine voice, I would have thought immediately, oh, it's it's a Luvatar or, or Monwe. But it's a lot more curious because it's not. Hmm. Yeah, I had to, uh, thank you all for clarifying, because I, I was thinking that was Middle Earth. He was looking toward and was hearing some kind of call from Middle Earth or something. Uh, so I was I didn't, I didn't even think. Yeah, I, I, well, I kind of like it's either, you know, it's either Valinor or it's Middle Earth, uh, or I guess Amon technically. Um, but yeah, okay. I think Val, I think Valinor makes a little more sense than Middle Earth. Uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to find out. Yeah, I wonder if it's just one of those things they're going to let settle or if they're actually going to, you know, let us know what it was that was calling to him. Yeah. I wonder since it's a feminine voice, maybe it was the Maya uh, Uinen, the Lady of the Sea. Because we see that statue lay a few scenes later with when the scene with Halbrand and Galadriel when he's in jail. And there's that statue that I'm pretty sure is supposed to be Uinen. Mm. Just because it looks like a mermaid. That's what I all. thought was that yeah. it was supposed to be. But then there's the, the sense that he's being pulled away from the sea, too, that we get That's true. later. So I'm not mm. sure. I mean, I'm intrigued. I, I, I hope they don't just like drop that on us and then just let it go. Just we just wanted to put his name in there just to make sure you know his name. And it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> you did this thing. Things mean things in Tolkien. That's not, <laughs> if something like this happens. It's, it's important. 
Well, and they had his friend yelling his name like two seconds later anyways. (laughs) So there wasn't any need for a mysterious whisper. Right. So and then I I love the scene. They they kind of they have the the moment where he saves one of his peers and then they they get back to the sea. And then there's that that moment where they they all turn around and face the sea and they introduce us to this statement. The sea is always right. And that's really interesting. Like that's that's a sort of newish thing. I don't know where I'm not sure where that's coming from. But it's cool. I like it. <laughs> it didn't sound very Tolkien to me. I thought it would be more like Ulmo is always right. But <laughs> okay, so I thought sea, I was but... thinking the same thing too. But then I'm like, well, what if? But if if they're trying to to kind of carve their own path away from the elves, and they're resisting the Valar, and you know there there's been the whole movement to try and go and take Valinor, like that was their you know to to move against the Valar themselves. You know, you wouldn't want to be worshiping them anymore at, in that way right mm-hmm. so yeah they're kind of secularizing it right. almost yes that's what i was thinking it almost felt like they were trying to replace the original religion of numenor with some kind of the sea is always right um like as if that's their their new religion almost mm-hmm. i thought it was it didn't feel tolkien in the way that numenor at its end doesn't feel like Tolkien either because right. it's off so far away than where it's supposed to be. Yeah, I was wondering what well, them saying the sea is always right and Lindell saying that's the sea put Galadriel in his path. I almost my my uh my Olmo alarm went off because I almost thought hmm, did <laughs> did Olmo have a have a hand in this somehow? Now I hope Olmo didn't send a giant sea worm to uh <laughs> to destroy a attack ship, a sh- yeah. destroy a ship just to get her there, but uh, I almost had that thought of hmm, could could there this be the tiny hint of the valor that we'll probably only only get tiny hints of in the show. Since yeah. I, as as cool as it would be, I I don't think we'll ever we'll see Valar on screen. But I think yeah, that, that would be very really cool if we did. But yeah, I think, but I but I agree. I think that's going to be I think that's going to be kind of what they're trying to push is that more uh not secularized in the sense that um that there are no Valar because there obviously are, but more in the, the, these are the people that are, that are living at the end of the second age and the Valar are largely not involved. They're, they're much more removed from that point in history. Uh, And it's more about the elves and the men. And then, then eventually the men that are, that go and, and become the ones that are in charge of things. So yeah, I, I, and then I like how it cuts from from that whole scene back to the tree in the courtyard, and then moves us in. And that was that's that's really a really interesting one, especially as we just got the statement in the last episode that wherever there wherever love is, the tree can still grow. And so it's obvious that there is that that love has not completely abandoned the city because. It, it, the tree is still there but she does mention that the the leaves are falling so muriel mentions to ellendale at that point that the leaves are falling and talks about, a little bit about that and with that whole scene i was wondering is she trying to question him or is she trying to call him out like that that's what i was feeling like i don't know where she sits on the the faithfulness versus the um the resistance to valar at this point too so i feel like she's almost trying to get him to admit that he loves the elves so that she can go oh thank goodness me too and Mm -hmm. figure something out from there it felt like she was trying to see if she was safe with him 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it was yeah. also very difficult because you had the guards all around her at the same right. time. So it was very, she was very careful in the way she spoke. Yeah. And at the end, it, it almost seemed like she was saying to her father, say, yes, this, you know, we're the elves are back. They're going to help us or they're, you know, we can mm-hmm. take back, go back to the old ways. Cause, um, cause I correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe her father was her, hers. Her grandmother raised her father kind of as an elf friend against his father's mm-hmm. wishes um, and against kind of the common culture of the time of going against the elves and against the Valar. So right. if we're seeing kind of that she's secretly is an, is an elf friend um, and maybe, and you know, we're, and we see how far is on is very likely not an elf friend. So I'm right. curious to see how that all, what all happens there to, precipitate what we what happens in at the end of the summer alien. yeah and then she gives him a promotion and hands him a sword <gasps> and in that yeah. moment it almost looked like she was like asking him to execute the galadriel i know right it felt like Which that is, yeah my kids thought that too they were like oh my gosh we thought that he was gonna go kill galadriel it's like no it's not that kind of movie It could have been a a test if he took the if she wanted if she didn't want him to and he immediately took the sword and went on his way. He was like, okay, he's not the one not the one we needed. (laughs) It was a nebulous uh, command for the purpose of discovering what his intentions were. Mm -hmm. But of course, I was just like, is that Narsil? But then I was was like, no, it's too plain looking a sword, I think. Right. I I don't know. I think that the reveal of Narsil will have to be much bigger than that. Like she was just like, here's a sword. Yeah. Okay. That's true. That's true. And it, and it doesn't. So, and this is, it brings up an interesting question too, is like, how much are the props? Cause this is still all the same. I, th- I think this is all what a workshop is doing all this, all the props and stuff still too. Are they going to recycle uh, the same prop? Cause it, it didn't look like Narsil uh, from the movies. So I'm wondering if they're, you know, if we, if we are going to, but that was my question too, is like, is this Narsil? <laughs> is yeah. this the one? <laughs> I think that's everyone. It, this sword could break somehow in some kind of battle in that it, mm-hmm. defending the elves and as a reward they forge narsil or you know something like that for uh-huh. him so mm-hmm. although narsil was supposed to be an heirloom of elendil's house uh i believe forged in the first age by the dwarves so mm-hmm. when they do reveal narsil i hope they were yeah but we don't know we don't know how he gets it we we know the right. story of it, but we don't know how he gets it. So that's true. There's, you know, it could be that it is given to him in this part. So we'll see. There's room for that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I want to know. <laughs> like, oh, wow. It's a sword. <laughs> and he very specifically does not have like a big sword before this point. You know, like when you see him on the mm-hmm. ship, he's got this little saber that's like, ah, that's not. <laughs> I feel like it's got to be a bigger moment. It's got to be like farther down when he's. Because he 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 seems conflicted about whether or not he is one of the faithful, and I feel like there's got to be some big moment down the line where he like decides, and then mm-hmm. maybe that's when he'll get the sword or something like that. It just felt yeah. like it went too quickly for that to be something that's such a big deal to us. That's true. And did, I, I will did they say <laughs> so along those lines? Did they say later that Isildur had got he was in the Queen's Guard but he got in trouble? So did they had did I re- hear that right? And that's why he got him into the Sea Academy. No, he had gotten in trouble with the Queen's Guard somehow. I don't okay. know that he was in the Queen's Guard, but that okay. he'd gotten okay. in trouble with them. And then okay. he said, like, they started that. 
Mm-hmm. Like okay. Pictified or something. Yeah, I, I just wasn't sure if maybe that's... Uh, I was just thinking along the lines of Isildur's kind of... Or Alindil might be in kind of uh, hot water a little bit because of his son's antics. Mm. Uh, and, you know, maybe he was... Isildur was kind of given the push to be a Queen's Guard as an honor, but he kind of threw it away, so his only option was to follow his father into the sea. Um, okay, no, that makes more sense, too. That would be interesting, because now he's trying to give up or put off you know, his full initiation into the Navy. Right. And his, his brother is involved in this somehow. I'm so glad they mentioned Anarian, by mm-hmm. the way, right. because he was in none of the promo materials. And I was thinking, oh, did they erase Anarian to like replace him with a sister? But no, in this, they reveal they have the original character who's his sister, but Anarian is off somewhere else. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll meet him later, but that yeah. there, there was some interesting dynamics around like Elendil says, well, what does your brother have to do with this? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when, when they're having the family chat. So that was interesting. I was very relieved that they had only added to his family and hadn't taken anyone away. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fine with him having a, no- a daughter because a lot of the times yeah. in these family trees, you only hear about the sons anyways. So like, you know, there could be surprise daughters laying around. Um, so that doesn't oh, seem yeah. like a problem, but I'm glad that they didn't uh, remove anyone. I am a little worried about her though. <laughs> yeah. She's not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> right. Her, her <laughs> occupation is not going to be one that allows her to get out of there when everything goes wrong. <laughs> I'm well, yeah, I'm I'm worried that it's going to take a really dark turn because she gets into the 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 architects guild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when Sauron takes over Numenor, he puts in a lot of new building projects, including a really evil temple of human sacrifice. <laughs> so I hope she's not forced to build oh, that. She's or going to be. I'm oh, really yeah. oh, excited no. for that. <laughs> it's going to be horrible. Well, that's, I, I think the, the cool thing is, it's like seeing all this stuff set up, knowing where it's going, um, knowing that it's not going to be till the end of the fifth season that we get to the Alliance. And and that's, you know, that's that's where they're going to. That's going to be the big climactic, you know, fifth season thing is like the, the, the great battle. Right. So knowing where we are now and seeing that there's a lot of space between now and then and they're setting up all the threads to do some really, really interesting things over the next few episodes or well just the mm. next few couple of seasons too right and there's no so we, guarantee on the episode count either future seasons we could have a lot we could have longer seasons and mm-hmm. to give more space for this too so yeah absolutely so we we move from from here we, we get we move away from um uh numenor at this point and we go back to seeing the elves in the orc camp and uh there's a lot of uh, you know there's kind of this really great tension building scene with that r- the water and he he offers mm-hmm. them the water for being you know for being resistant and uh my kids caught it my kids like were really they they knew what was going on they were like this is not good and <laughs> this mm-hmm. is not good this is a really bad idea <laughs> mine all and, thought it was poison as did right? i when i first saw it yeah they yeah uh, well, and that's my, one of them even said, one of mine even said, it's not good for, it might be good for orcs, but it's not good for elves. And, Aww. you know, it's like, oh yeah, but it's, it's genuinely surprising when mm-hmm. the orc reaches out to, to cut um, his friend's neck and it, it hits you like in a really 
impactful way. My my wife, she at the very beginning, she was really happy to see his peers, even, oh, even no. though they were captured, because she was like, oh, he's not alone. Good. I was worried that he was going to be all alone. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to end oh, well no. for you. <laughs> well, one thing that I thought was interesting is the way that they depicted the blood um, as he mm. his neck was cut. My husband, who's he's a doctor, he was like, oh, he's not hurt that bad because he's not <laughs> bleeding. And then uh, I had seen the episode before him. So I was like, oh, actually, like he's dying right here. <laughs> so that was kind of a, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, there's not very much blood. That cut doesn't look bad at all. Like he'll be fine. And then suddenly he just dies. And I understand. I think they did that so that the show wouldn't be too gruesome. But it mm-hmm. was a little bit confusing at first. Right. You're like, he cut himself shaving and yeah. oh that's not yeah. good. <laughs> I was like, oh he died of a paper cut. Right. I was like, okay. It's only a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> but they but they I think they did a really good job of building that tension there and then also of just the callousness of the orcs. Um compared to this this friendship that had lasted, you know, centuries, that these these two had been friends for centuries while they were guarding uh the while they were guarding the southlands and that's um they did a good job of making that feel <laughs> and mm-hmm. and i think it was a hard thing because we've only seen them on screen together for maybe two minutes and but they they made you realize how good a friend he was and and all of that in a very compact space and i feel like they did a good job of it honestly absolutely well um when arondir's watch warden i forget his name when he's dying after he gets shot with the arrows, Arondir yells out Hano, which means brother. And after I realized what it meant, like it, it was really, it made the scene so much sadder. Mm. It was, it mm. was, it was almost even more devastating just to think of their relationship and him calling him brother. Um, it, it, it was really, it was a great use of Elvish and a, a really powerful scene. Mm-hmm. I think the acting on these three is just phenomenal. They do such a good job of uh, pulling together that very otherworldliness, especially even, even when they're dirty. Because that's, that's one of the things that I was commenting on, you know, in, in the first couple of episodes. It's like they, they made the elves seem different from the humans, even besides the elves are very clean and have nice stuff and the humans are just covered in mud. Right. But in this one, everybody's covered in mud, but they still did a really good job of making the elves different fundamentally different from the the humans that were around them and and it it even even plays almost like this is a temporary position for the elves whereas the humans have kind of resigned themselves to being stuck in slavery now and that's just going to be the rest of their life so and then erendir does go and cuts the tree and man that's an intense moment too i like how that he goes up and he prays over it before yeah, uh, or speaks. It's I like they they put the difference there between his, he's speaking to it and or praying over it. Did you did you catch that one, Caitlin? To to translate? Oh yeah, he's he's asking the tree for forgiveness. Okay. Um, and I I also saw someone on Twitter pointed out that uh, what he says anin apsine is um apsine is the same word that's used in Tolkien's translation of the Our Father prayer. So oh. I thought that was oh. even more touching um, if you think about that kind of connection there. Wow. Yeah, that is. Really and Arondir is cool. a Sindarin elf. 
elf, right? Yeah. Or a, a sylvan elf, rather. Yeah. A sylvan elf. So he'll he'll be closer to trees than even elves normally are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was so touching. I was getting emotional watching that scene of him cutting down the tree, asking the forgiveness. I mean, even before it was translated, you can kind of tell what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was a really intense scene and and the actor did an incredible job. I feel like the Ents are not going to be happy at the wanton destruction of trees. And they showed us <laughs> Ents for a split second in the previous episode. And I hope that's not just a throwaway thing and we get <laughs> Ents in the Last Alliance eventually fighting orcs. That would be cool. Oh, the amount of destruction they've done. Yeah. God. Yeah. That looks that looks awful. So we'll see. We'll see where that one goes. And then after that, have you seen we need some levity? And I think they do a good job with uh, the Galadriel escape scene. <laughs> and it's like, OK, we're back to uh, back to some lighter fare now. Um, and she, so she gives the uh, she gives her guards the slip. But then she runs into Elendil while she's trying to find uh, a ship off the island. And I love the way he talks to her, where he says, you know, I have a son and a daughter and uh, one runs fast and one runs blind. And I see your eyes are very similar to both of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, get, we get this really neat scene where they begin speaking and he starts to reveal to her that he is an elf friend because he does speak uh, Quenya and he does have a conversation with her about it and says that it's all over the place. It's and introduces the fact that they have a hall of law that he can take her to. And and that and then they travel to the Hall of Law on that amazing horse scene, <laughs> the horse ride. Um, how'd you guys like the Hall of Law? Like what? Because uh, there was a lot there kind of to unpack. <laughs> I wanted to go to it and just go read, <laughs> read all these, yes, right? all these, uh, all these, these texts. Because uh, I, I study history as my college major. And so I just love, you know, love the study of history. So I would have I would have been could you gotten lost there for hours just. <laughs> And the, you, of course, you don't the portrait see many of, libraries with that many scrolls anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, the portrait of of Elros that we see. Yeah, love love yes. any mention of of Elros in the in the glory days of Numenor, which I think uh, Thomas uh, Salerno you said last week something about it. Maybe flashbacks to uh, to Elros. So I that kind of made me made me think that that's it's a strong possibility. Um, to kind of flashing back to those glory days, uh, maybe through the eyes of, uh, you know, an elf, uh, an elf or Elrond or something like that. If Elrond went for a visit. I loved the way that Galadriel was like, oh, I was always closer with his brother. It felt yeah. like such a name drop kind of moment where she's like, listen, you don't understand how old I am. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, but I like that Elendil recognizes that she would have known them right so Mm -hmm. these are figures Mm -hmm. to him that he never he never knew his parents never knew his grandparents never knew probably his grandparents grandparents maybe even further back than that never knew they knew of them they were legends and but he he says you knew him right like he asks her you knew him and the understanding of it's just kind of (laughs) mind-breaking the understanding of the the age of an elf in that context where it's like you know it'd be like us uh you know, meeting someone and saying, so you actually knew Caesar, right? Like you, <laughs> you hung out with him and, um, you know, and, and then having a conversation with that person, like, what was he like? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to even wrap your mind around the idea of that. Yeah. 
So I, 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 that was, I, I, I love that scene because it's, it's almost comical, like him trying to, to talk to her about that. And, you know, you, you walked with these legends, right? And she's like, yeah, but I knew his brother better. And it's like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> I'm just glad they mentioned it because, again, I was so worried we weren't going to get any mention of Elros at all that, like, I was, after the first, the, the, the prologue of the first episode really simplified stuff. And mm-hmm. I was afraid that that was going to that that was going to be the pattern for the whole show, that they were really going to pave over a lot of the lore. But this episode really put a lot of those concerns to rest for me. They they really like, you know, did they mention so much stuff that I was afraid they were just going to paper over that? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, I'm I'm feeling much better about this now. Yeah, I agree. I feel like um, I feel like they're. I feel like what they were trying to do in the first episode was give us a lore dump, but then also get into the story. <laughs> and right. Mm-hmm. And now they're able to go back and breathe a little more into those moments where, OK, now we've got Elros mentioned and we can go and talk a little bit more about that. And we'll see that come up again, I'm sure, as we discover more about these characters um, in Numenor and what they're going through and and how that whole complication of what Numenor is going to become. uh gets unfolded for us and then we get the uh the reveal that indeed the uh the mark was not a mark but a map that was a uh, that was that was really cool i think it, i think it was yeah. you that called that right jeff uh i i don't think i did um oh no if I did. no because i okay, wasn't well, on last week all right well so somebody said it somebody said it about our about our about the first episodes there so that was um i know a lot of my um a lot of people on Twitter had had called it or had yeah. suggested it. Well, I remember looking at it and then looking at the map and thinking it kind of looks like it, but it's not quite right. So it can't be. But um, apparently <laughs> it was. Yeah. And then I, I thought I, it was really cool. I, I like the the librarian that found that. That is like the best librarian in the history of ever. <laughs> it took like, like two minutes. Like, okay. <laughs> This obscure thing, like, oh yeah, that's that uh that guy that came back with like in the <laughs> some midst random of soldier, all the right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a little much. Like, <laughs> all right, Numenor has the best librarians. <laughs> props to props to the Numenorian librarians. They have some kind of crystal storage. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> crystal storage library. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn around my wife. My wife was a librarian and um, I looked at her and I said, so you're that good a librarian, right? And, and all of the kids unanimously said, yes, of course she is. And I was like, good kids. <laughs> That's <laughs> well <done."> great. <laughs> it seemed a little bit silly that it did turn out to be a map because it I don't understand why he would have branded it on Finrod so, like, like so far before Morgoth's fall. The, mm. It just seems like they didn't think that all the way through of of here's this sigil. It's, it's all over the place. Um, and then they're they're like, oh, the big reveal is it's a map. It just didn't fully seem to make a ton of sense to me. Well, they did say that there's there was a plan in place for should Morgoth fall. Mm-hmm. There's a plan mm-hmm. in place to. I guess, continue the evilness. Uh, so it could be relating to that as they, they kind of, and it's almost like they're goading, they're trying to goad the elves and the, um, you know, the, the good races to come after them with, if they, mm-hmm. if they figured out where it was, they could go there. But you know, obviously Galadriel spent hundreds, if not, you know, I don't know exactly, could be thousands of years 
seeing this and not not knowing what it was so yeah um, and i would also i would also hazard that this was something that you would do for the orcs not so much for anybody else but you know get them used to seeing that symbol so that then when when morgoth is gone and sauron's gone the orcs are like there was a map right like that that thing that that, <laughs> that uh sauron like branded everybody with <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and they would they would go oh yeah so i that was that was my take on it was like you know this was this was his way of saying don't forget this and he would just <laughs> everywhere like just stamp it all over the place you know it's like pavlovian reinforcement right. you know like, <laughs> do not it, forget this <laughs> it's like the mcdonald's logo but it's exactly it's, uh, <laughs> well we, we had I had a priest at our parish that was really that was, he talked about this a lot because he was like branding is a really big thing. And um, he said, if you want your kids to be to, to fully embrace the faith, put a cross on their forehead every chance you get. When you put them down for bed, put a cross on their forehead. When you leave for the day, put a cross on their forehead. Do that because that is a symbol. And you better bet if you don't do that, they're going to get the McDonald's or the Disney Castle or any of these other things are going to be branded on them. So, you know, you brand them the way that you want them to remember things. And he's not wrong. <laughs> if it's not the cross, it's the, it's uh, the map of Mordor. Or, yeah. There you go. <laughs> How long till everybody's getting tattoos of this? Oh, yeah. oh, oh no. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's people already with tattoos of like the eye of Sauron from the Peter yeah. Jackson ones. <laughs> yeah. With the one ring script, which yes. would horrify Tolkien if he saw that. He's like, that's evil. <laughs> Why are you oh, doing you... that? Right. That's, that's, that's not the point. Around. That's the opposite of the point. <laughs> <laughs> so we finally get the Harfoots after after a, a majority of the episode having slid by. We get the Harfoots. And um, I like how it was introduced because they come in with these masks and everything on. And my kids were like, oh, no, it's the orcs. And mm-hmm. I was like. Huh, that's that's interesting because you do kind of feel like that's this monstrous passage through the forest, but then it just turns out to be the Harfoots and um the the creepy, creepy uh nobody gets uh nobody gets left behind or nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone, right? And then leading into that kind of memorial service where they, you know, hold up their mugs and say, We we couldn't wait for you on the path, but we wait for you now. And it's kinda of like <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, I don't know how I don't know how you feel about this. It felt so brutal and it felt very contradictory because they're they've spent so much time saying nobody walks alone and nobody gets left behind. But then so suddenly it's like, well, all of these people got left behind and you might have to walk alone if you don't, you know, listen to all of our rules. It just felt very weird and almost cult like. Yeah. That's that's I know I'm not I the only one, but I said yeah. I know I'm not the only one, but I said I said it's it's the harsh fits, not the harfits. Oh. They're, pretty, they're pretty harsh. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Having to leave since one guy's injured and you're probably going to leave him behind. Um, Especially yeah. when they all have carts like yeah. there is a lot of them. They could just put him in one of their carts or, or spare someone to help him push the <laughs> cart. You know, I, yeah, it just seems unnecessarily harsh. And it was weird because the people who they mentioned having died on previous journeys, they all seem to have died like like they weren't left behind, like natural things like happened to them, like the whole family was wiped out in a rock slide or wolves got somebody or somebody got disoriented and wandered off in the snow and died. 
So it, at first I was like, oh, OK, so they're not leaving people behind. People are just dying. But then, nope, with when Largo injures his foot, they're just like, nope, we're, we're leaving you behind. Sorry. Brain. Well, I think they were leaving him. You're going to leave them behind more because they because of Meteor Man, because of oh, right. Yeah, uh, it wasn't because he was because I think originally they were. It, it sounded like they were going to have them lead lead the uh, lead the migration, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. you do in you know, at least in my Boy Scout experience, where the usually if you're going on any kind of a backpacking trip, you want to put one of the people who's not the fastest in the front so that everybody kind of keeps pace. Right. Um, so that, and, but and then they, but because of Nori's uh, introduction of Meteor Man to their, you know, and potential the the big folk, uh, they were going to put them at the end and if you fall behind you're you're left behind kind of a deal um and it all and i i could be wrong but it, it seemed like her friend um poppy her i guess she was alone and her parents were mm-hmm. left behind before so she was kind of pulling trying to pull her own cart so her she was almost rather large left. family yeah, it yeah. Seems like yeah. She wiped out. they died in the rock slide i was oh, like okay. oh i'm like that's terrible <laughs> That was yeah. a really sad moment to seeing her pulling her cart all by herself. Yeah. Like, and it just, like I said, it felt so weird after hearing so many times, no one walks alone. They're like, well, mm-hmm. sorry, you're walking alone. Right. <laughs> so I have to ask the question now, because this was interesting, because we see Meteor Man reappear and he, he goes for the map that she, the, the, the star map that she leaves for him. And the star map has elvish letters on it. Or it, it's it's not it's not the Tengor letters. It's the the other uh, the other version of the letters. And oh, Daron's runes. Yes, yeah. And and so I was wondering, like, is this even the Harfoots' uh, stuff? Because it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it was made by the Harfoots. Like the Harfoots look like they're kind of got like scratch stuff put together. And then this, but this piece was like more ancient and more. Like, like they had acquired it from somewhere else. So I was, I'm really intrigued at where the star chart that they have came from. Hmm. Well, Sadek seems to know a lot about uh, the histories of the elves and, uh, and kind of the history of the world in general, because he mentions, um, I know someone who got turned into a star, but I don't know anyone coming right. from a star, which is weird. Um, so it it almost implies that it's like he's read the Silmarillion, or, or the, <laughs> right? Like, um, so I wonder if there's more to it. Like he has some kind of special knowledge, or maybe he got this book from from someone else. I'm intrigued. I I, I want to know more about this book, though. Definitely after mm-hmm. seeing this this episode, and then I'm 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 throwing my hat completely in with this being one of the Blue Wizards. Or at the very least, admire because he doesn't know how to fireworks at all. Like he has no conception of how how fireworks. When he's like reading the the Star Trek really close to it, and then he catches on fire and he's like surprised. Yeah, he's like, what? <laughs> it's it's almost ch- right, right, exactly. That's that's exactly it though. Like, but it's it's almost childlike, and I love that about this character that he's he doesn't know the, the like he's filled with immense power, knows what his purpose is but does not know how the world works at all, which to me just screams my art. Like he's, he's there because this is the, the birth of a wizard and he needs to learn how everything works so that he can actually find his footing. Yeah. As long as it's not Gandalf, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. I had the I, thought I it's, it's not Gandalf the gray. It's Gandalf the grimy. Cause he's so. 
Uh, well, I, I'd be perfectly happy for it to be one of the blue wizards. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think they're leaning heavily into the Gandalf thing just for familiarity's sake. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. That is my two cents worth on, on him. Um, I hope so. so yeah, I, I, I really, I think that's just where they're going with it. So we go back to Elendil, uh, back to Numenor, and we see a, a scene with Elendil and his, his daughter and his son, uh, Isildur and uh, Arya. And they mention Anaria, like you were saying, Thomas. So we, we do have his family like, intact, which is nice. Um, and then there's like this, this tension uh, that, about the kids not listening to his plan. And I wonder, because eventually, you know, he's the one that kind of gets them off the island before a disaster strikes. So I'm wondering how much he already knows about what's going to happen. And he's trying to prep his kids for that. Or if it's just, you know, he's kind of like, things are not going well. We need to make sure that we're ready when the time comes. Yeah, I wonder if that's why it's so important for him to, for Isildur to become, you know, capable of of managing a ship. Because mm-hmm. he knows that it's going to be very important for him and his life depends on it. Right. I, I wonder if they've kind of formulated that plan already or not. I also yeah. kind of read it as, look... You, you've got to stick to what's expected of you by other people because we are faithful Numenorians, kind of living underground when mm-hmm. the whole society has already turned away from reverence to the Valar and friendship with the elves. And our beliefs are not popular. In fact, that they're hated. So like I, it almost felt like, you know, kind of like first century, you know, Christians in like mm-hmm. the, the Greco Roman world, this kind of have like, not that we're like, you completely hide it, but you don't draw attention to yourself in a way that would get the authorities mixed up. And so I think he's, he's, you may have been trying to tell his son, look, just stick to the plan or you'll draw unnecessary attention. Yeah. I almost took it more on the surface level of, of maybe they don't have the best relationship and he's trying as, as I think many dads do is you're, if your son is, you're kind of estranged from them. You want to try to, make them do this thing with you so that you have kind of that as a, as a bond. So I almost wondered about that as, uh, and we don't know where Anarian is. Maybe he's kind of more estranged from Melindil. And so maybe he's, Melindil's trying to kind of not make those same mistakes with a Sildor. So, right. but I, I like those, it, there's a lot of levels here and I, I really like it. Uh, a lot of, a lot going on, a lot to unpack. So yeah, and you also it could be see- all those things at once. Right. And you also see Isildur not being 100% in agreement with his father about things, too. So he's mm. he's kind of tending toward this. Well, what if we just did go west? You know, there's there's kind of that mm-hmm. that discussion is arising there. So it'll be interesting to see how that ends up playing out between them uh, yeah, as we go. Yeah. And as, as we know, he's not, you know, uh, Elendil has a very opinion, very different opinion about what their purpose is in the in the final alliance than um then Isildur ends up with so and then all the and then it's more tragic at the end when they are reunited against uh, uh in the last alliance like you said they they go on to found Elendil founds the kingdoms and his sons take them over um after mm-hmm. uh, after the battle so so then we, we move on to um Halbrand is in jail because he got in a fight with some guild members and uh we can talk about that fight in a minute because that fight was brutal <laughs> that was <laughs> It was, it was very the, unexpected. Yeah. The, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was especially that scene where he 
breaks the guy's arm against the wall. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I felt that. Yeah, I <laughs> on my second and third watch, I had to just close my eyes. I was not going to see that again. Yeah. Or when he smashes the one guy's face against the okay. wall and leaves that smear of blood, I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was not seeing I I did not see that coming, especially compared to the level of violence we saw in the first two episodes. This was Mm -hmm. just out of nowhere. It felt like he went Hulk mode. Oh, yeah, definitely. Or almost like, you know, Wolverine when he goes into those like rages, you know, definitely hints that there's could be some darkness that Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I I don't know if we want to talk theories about who he is, but yeah. Oh, yes. um, I saw the theory yeah. today. And Let's I, keep it short oh, because sure. we don't have sure. uh, because we don't because yeah, yeah. I think well, we could go all over the place with this. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, the but, theory but I saw I, today that I oh sorry go I was just going to say the theory I saw today is uh, I know a lot of people said maybe he's Sauron, but I thought a theory I saw was what if he's the Witch King? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that be, was my first. Will, the thought. Witch King will become so. Another cool theory that I saw was that he becomes the king of the dead men of Dunharrow. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I think that would be a really, really cool like and that. really heartbreaking thing mm. to see him, you know, get so close to to redeeming his bloodline like Galadriel wants him to. And then he at the last minute, he he falls and then we have to wait until the, the end of the third age for his redemption. Yeah, Oof. that would be very cool. Very sad. That would be very interesting, though. I would I'm I'm on board with that one now. <laughs> Yeah. 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 When that's I heard so that, I was favorite. like, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, that's perfect. Do that. Yeah. Well, and I like I like here how he he demurs away from identifying himself with his um, with his royalty. Right. So she she's pushing him to say, this is you. This is you. This is you. And even down to the point of saying, you know, that where he got the signet from was he took it off of a dead man and thought it suit me. And mm-hmm. I, I like that because that shows that he understands it, right? He understands that it is his responsibility, but at the same time, uh, you can just boil it down to its basest point and say, it doesn't matter. You know, the kingship just came to me because my father died. And that's, that's what he's saying is that it, it, I took it off of a dead man and thought it suit me because he had to. And then Galadriel like comes back with all of these really convicting lines about, you know, you, you, uh, chafe at these rags because the armor that you should be wearing is weighing upon your soul it's like oh man and then she says the most tolkien-esque line out of the whole show so far which is uh you can call it fate you can call it destiny uh, but it's not any of these forces uh, that men lack the conviction to name that was brilliant I, yeah yeah mm-hmm. loved it <laughs> i did think it was kind of funny though that then she doesn't name the force after mm-hmm. that that's true too. Like, yeah. are you talking about a Luvatar? <laughs> right. Say it. Right. <laughs> but I don't think I. Maybe they're not allowed to say a Luvatar. That's that would be. I I would be intrigued to see where where the line gets drawn. There is it because you get into a lot of really interesting, uh, you know, theistic discussions from that point, right? Like, how much do we want to say? Uh, how much do we want to bring religion into it? And that's a. It would be an interesting question, but I, I, it feels like they're setting up that argument, especially with the whole like, you know, the sea is always right thing versus, mm-hmm. you know, Ulmo is always right. So, And we've seen the holy mountain from a couple of angles. And mm-hmm. I believe in, in the Silmarillion, it is Iluvatar himself 
who destroys the island, not the Valar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole point is that that the, they back off and he does it. Yeah, that would be incredible to see. I hope that they I hope they're able to do that correctly and and that they execute it well, because that'll just be that'll be an insane season finale for season four, probably. <laughs> Yeah, well, because we've got so much story to get to before you even get to like our far on falling. And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. We'll see. And then we get these really short snippets, like right at the end, we get the Muriel in the tower uh, speaking to her father. And she says exactly this. And this is I think it's really the way that they phrase this is very significant. She says the moment we feared uh, the elf has arrived. And. You can take that so many different ways, because I think. Like maybe she maybe there is the expectation that there will be an elf that will arrive that will cause problems. And she thinks it's this elf when in fact it is another elf <laughs> that is going to be coming uh, later. And that that's the problem that we're looking for. Or that maybe this is the beginning of that fall, uh, that things are going to start tumbling out of control at this point. So I'm intrigued to see. Uh, how much they know and why they know it at this point, too. Any theories on that? Yeah, I don't think we've been given enough information to really say a whole lot. Um, it It's definitely not something that was really stressed in the Silmarillion telling of this mm-hmm. story, like that there's a particular elf who comes to Numenor. I almost wonder if she means... because. In my mind, she's acting as a double agent right now because she's trying to um, remain in power while also kind of appeasing Farazon. And I kind of wonder if she what she means by that is like the moment that she's going to be forced to act one way or another is finally here. Mm. So it's now that she's going to have to either reveal herself as an elf friend or, um, you know, do something unspeakable to harm elves or to, you know, fully break off from um, the old, old ways of Numenor. So it, I, I kind of saw it as like the moment that I was dreading is here now because I actually have to choose and to out myself as a faithful if I'm going to. That's a good point. Like her father's been advising her, right? Yeah. If, if they're afraid of elves returning, I mean, they probably have known that they're straying from what they should be doing over the course of the last hundreds, thousands of years. So they figure at some point elves will probably show up. And especially if they've kind of generated this, this kind of society of being fearful or hostile to elves that eventually the elves will know about that and will, and either try to, in their mind, in the Numenorians minds will try to come and take back what they have earned. As, as Tarmiriel said, we were not given this, we earned this this home so and then we get the short scene of the brandyfoots getting left behind but meteor man comes in to kind of save the day and, and push them along and um i like that and like you guys mentioned the poppy seeing poppy pull her cart all by herself that's like it's almost heartbreaking in and of itself just watching her mm-hmm. well and she would have been last in the caravan if it weren't mm-hmm. for um if it weren't for the other family having to be in the back so you and you can see how far behind she already is from everyone else mm-hmm. so that's even even more heartbreaking to think about. She pretty easily could have been left behind. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the hard uh, hardfoots. That's a no. <laughs> yeah. They were the weakest part of this episode for me. 
where the heart yeah I, I feel so mm-hmm. and and i think they're they're there as part of telling a story but i think we need some more out of them uh as we're going along and then we get they the, were the part where every time it cut to a scene with them i was like Ugh, <laughs> i just got annoyed like not these guys again like yes. i just there i'm not into it i'm happy for people who are really into the story because i think that's one thing about the show is it, it has so many different groups of people mm-hmm. that there's something for everyone but the harfoots are not for me at all yeah it's like in your book you're reading when there's all these point of view characters and you're like you you're reading one you really like effort. and then you, you have to you're <laughs> yeah. like oh i gotta wait 100 pages but i'm just sometimes i'll <laughs> skip ahead and see read what's going on with my with my favorite but yeah i had so i was wondering too with the harfoots uh Nori's their last name is is Brandyfoot, and so I'm almost wondering if Nori later on will be part of the founding of the Shire because, mm-hmm. or you know, because Brandyfoot is close, not far from Brandybuck. And I know in the lore, the Harfoots were kind of one of the strains of of halfling that settled, that kind of all intermingled and settled in the Shire. So I'm, I just had that thought as maybe she will be kind of at, by the end of the story. And where we see her adventure, where we see their adventure goes, maybe she'll kind of have be part of the founding of the Shire. And then one other thing that I, I realized just before we kind of got on here was we saw Warg at, with kind of sniffing after the Harfoots. So there's a mm-hmm. potentially a Warg out there after them. I kind right. of was like Chekhov's Warg. We, yeah. I almost forgot about it, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it seems like it's it's a very strong possibility. And and then I was thinking maybe with Meteor Man if this warg comes in and attacks the Harfoots and meteor man drives him off that drives it off or, or kills it or something, then maybe the meteor man will be ingratiated with the Harfoots for good or ill. If, you know, whether we see the meteor man be a villain or a good guy, I suspect he's a blue wizard or one of the Asari as well, but uh, Marines to be seen, but I just had those thoughts of uh, where we can see the Harfoots going. Definitely a different breed of warg from the one we got later in this episode. Cause yeah. it didn't, it didn't look yeah. like that other creature that's stalking the Harfoots. No. And I wonder if it's I wonder if it's not a warg, but a werewolf. Because uh, I think oh, I think right. we're going to be expanding out into the lore a little more. And I would love to see um, the exploration of like werewolf and the vampire concepts, which are both in- intrinsic to Tolkien's you know, larger legendarium, but not necessarily fully fleshed out. So. That's how we're going to draw in all the Twilight fans. (laughs) Just as long as they don't sparkle. That's all I care. Uh, All right. So uh, let's wrap it up because we got uh, we we have been going for a while. (laughs) This is a good episode. Whoops. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Less than half of what I hoped for. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So um, I love the end scene here where they have the, the elves really showing off what they're capable of. Even in chains, even beaten down, even, you know, half starving, half uh, dying of thirst, they are capable of uh, putting up a good fight. And the orcs are like, you know what? Forget this. Just bring in the work. <laughs> Just let the work have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even that's not enough. They they managed to subdue the work mostly uh, before the rest of the orcs come out and have to have to finish everything. Uh, and then we get that horrible scene where um, uh, Revion makes it up the hill to try and escape and uh, and uh Aaron Deer gets up to the top to be able to see him and he's stopped and then he falls over with the, the an orc arrow in him and it's like oh no 
It's so, so heart-wrenching. I was, yeah. I was wondering about that because the arrows came from another direction. So I almost wondered if maybe there's some men that are kind of remnants of the Morgoth followers. If they're because mm. because they, he was facing the, he was facing away from the pit where they all were. Now mm-hmm. it could have, could be just another gang of orcs, just you know another pit. But I almost wondered because it was out in the sun and the orcs were obviously hiding. So I wonder if maybe we'll see some kind of of the evil men that have been the elves were kind of worried about all along, which will kind of play into a Rondir's uh, or the fears of, of his, uh, you know, his watch captain. Um, right. So. Yeah. You can see the little, you can see the figures. They're teeny tiny, <laughs> like, yeah. like jumping up and down mm-hmm. out, out in the distance. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I don't know. You don't know who they are. And then uh, we had the cute org that uh, got taken out. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was, uh, it was like, the, yes, was it really? it's like that. It's like that ugly. It's that ugly dog competition, <laughs> right? Where you get the, the the horribly ugly Chihuahua with the eyes that are kind of yeah, offset yeah. and looking in opposite directions. <laughs> you know, that's what my kids bizarre. all said. My kids were all like, "He's so cute." <laughs> I thought the animation on it was so weird too. It, it almost weird. looked yeah. like it was like stop motion, kind of like a claymation at first when it was coming down the the tunnel, but then like it was just. For how high quality the the CGI has been in the show so far, this was just like it was really startling to see it because mm-hmm. I just thought it looked yeah. so weird and, and it was so different. A little, yeah, it was a little off. I, I kind of thought that too. So you know what it reminded me of uh, the one hyena from the the original Lion King, the one that laughs, laughs yes, all yes. the time because he has the bulgy eyes and stuff. Yep. And I was like, I'm like, is that Ed the hyena? I'm like, what? yeah, yeah. So that's my kids automatically latched onto him, and I think they want plushies now. So um, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> plushies to celebrate the work in the stores work in time for Christmas. Uh, there you go well and then and so we get uh erendir is knocked down and uh they they want to kill him but they're stopped and they're told no bring him to adar and we get the the closing scene is this blurry image of the figure of adar uh walking towards us so next uh episode hopefully we get to meet adar and find out maybe a little bit about who he is i don't know I'm so excited for his character because out of all of their marketing, uh, they've been I it's almost feels like they've forgotten about him um, because, like, <laughs> you know, all of the character posters that came out, they've all been confirmed. Uh, you know, Amazon has since added, you know, so and so is playing this character. But his character poster, the last time I checked, is still unconfirmed. There's no name um, like there's. It's bizarre. He's not really been at any of the press uh, events that they've done. And and like, it's just so mysterious. So I'm <laughs> super excited to finally see what's going on with this character. Yeah. And I, I did an, yeah, I did an Internet search and it. It's the actor who played um, probably most people know uh, being Benjamin Stark from Game of Thrones. It's that yeah. actor playing Adar. Now, he could be under heavy, you know, prosthetics or makeup. Um, or maybe just some pointy ears. We'll see. So I think, uh, yeah, I, we'll have to wait until next week because I don't, I don't have any guess as to, I mean, there's a couple of obvious guesses, <laughs> but <laughs> it would put him in a very weird position, but not necessarily if you think about like, you know, the kind of progression of things that have to happen for everything to be set up the way it is. So I like, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm waiting to see who's, who is um, driving Celebrum along to, 
to build this tower because I feel like there's uh, Caitlin. I think it was you that mentioned, you know, that's where we might see uh, that Vanitar character. So I'm hoping maybe he's playing both sides of this. You know, where I mean, he doesn't. He's not bound to, to have to stay with the org, so he could go uh-huh. anywhere. So we'll see how it, see how that goes. Yeah, I feel like it would be too obvious for him to be Sauron because earlier in their, this episode, they kind of assumed he was. So that's another one of those, like, I feel like the reveal would be more intense, but then maybe this is, maybe they know I would think that. So then they, they do it real <laughs> casually. So it just keeps you guessing, which is, it's fun how the story is so different and that it does. Um, like, even though we all know how Tolkien stories go, um, this one is so different that it keeps us guessing and it's very entertaining. Yeah, I really, I, I definitely like that about that. Any closing thoughts from anybody? Just that this was the episode that kind of cemented me as being fully on board and fully invested. Mm. I was really, really pleased with this episode, especially with the Numenor stuff, especially, as I said earlier, with them kind of making references to things in the lore that I thought they had either forgotten about or were just going to ignore. Yeah, I'm I'm fully invested and excited to see where it goes next. Awesome. Jeff, how about you? Uh, like I said, I was a I was a big fan of the even the first couple episodes, which I know some of a lot of people were on the fence about. But this one, even uh, even though I liked the first two, this one even kind of cemented it more for me. So I'm uh, I'm very excited to see where it goes. I I was sad we didn't get any dwarves this week, um, but it yeah. looks like we're going. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely missing. If you look up the teasers that they have, uh, it looks like we'll, we'll we'll see some dwarves again next week because I I love the dwarf uh, Kazadum and. Uh, Durin and, and all of that. So very happy yeah. to, see, very excited to see where that goes and to see how these story threads kind of start coming together. All right. Well, that is it from us. Uh, thanks for sticking with us for this one. This is a, this one was a long one. I think we. Uh, we I think we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to curb our enthusiasm. Yeah, we're gonna have to rein it in. I think episodes so we can keep it down to an hour. But uh, I, yeah. I love, love these conversations. They're great. Um, so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Middle Earth, uh, including Richard M, Adam G, Nicholas O, Logan K, and Stuart J. Uh, their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Middle Earth and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest. I need to ask for your help. But first, I want to thank you for listening to StarQuest and supporting our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture. In order to continue that mission and create more new shows, we need to bring on more audio editors, video editors, and production equipment. If you value this show, we need to hear from you now. If you're not yet one of our monthly patrons, please become one. And if you're already a patron, please consider increasing your monthly donation. There are many special patron benefits we'd like to give you, and you can learn about them by going to sqpn.com give and clicking become a patron. Please go to sqpn.com give today. So we would love to hear from you guys uh, what you think about uh, this episode or the show in general. You can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, as we mentioned earlier. You can send an email to Middle Earth at sqpn.com or visit our uh, StarQuest channel on Discord, uh, sqpn.com slash Discord. Lots of lively conversation in there. Um, I really love I'm checking that daily because it's, it's a lot of fun to keep up with people in there. Uh, We'll be back next week when we discuss the fourth episode of uh, The Rings of Power. Until then, 
Thomas Salerno, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. And Jeff Hecker, thanks for joining me in Secrets of Middle-Earth. Thank you as well. And Caitlin Fashista, thank you also. Thank you. And I've been Thomas Sanjuro, and thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. StarQuest wants to hear from you. We're conducting a survey of our audience. That's you, to help us in our planning for the future. Please take a moment and visit sqpn.com survey. We'll be selecting two participants to receive an Amazon gift card as an expression of our thanks. So visit sqpn.com survey today.